so quickly um, we're teaching on Christ the ultimate offering and today I'm going to lay a foundation and I need you to be with me here because you'll be so much blessed glory oh we love you Jesus what is so special about the offerings of the Old Testament being the reason why we should study it? Hallelujah. There were so many offerings and sacrifices that were made in the Old Testament. So many offerings right from the book of Genesis we saw sacrifices and offerings we saw man mess up began to cover himself with fig leaves God had to take off the fig leaves and use the skin of an animal that means there was a sacrifice that was performed that means an innocent animal had to die in the place of Adam so that Adam's nakedness can be covered so we saw a sacrifice there we also saw Noah, after the flood, offer offerings and sacrifices to God. In fact, he offered burnt offering to God after they came out from the ark. So we see a lot of sacrifices in the Old Testament. But in the book of Leviticus, specifically chapter number 1 to chapter number 7, there are five main offerings that God instituted to become a ritual in the Jewish nation. You got to follow this. Please feed me. These five offerings became the sacrificial constitution of Israel. To restore their broken fellowship with God. And also as an act of worship. Praise God. And these five offerings are our area of study throughout the, the, the whole week actually. Now the first offering, let me just list them. Then we, we, end, we go into a more deeper foundation. The first offering that God instructed was bent offering. That was the first offering. It was called the burnt offering. The second offering was called the grain offering or the meal offering. The grain offering or the meal offering. The third offering was also called the peace offering. Please follow very carefully. Or the fellowship offering. The peace offering or the fellowship offering. The fourth offering was called the sin offering. The sin offering. Then the fifth offering was called the trespass offering. The trespass offering. Now, 
amongst these five offerings, three of them were called voluntary offerings or free will offerings. The first three, which is the burnt offering, the grain offering, and then the peace offering, were voluntary offerings or free will offerings. That means God did not demand them compulsorily. It was the offerer's willing sovereign act of offering. God didn't compel him. It wasn't compulsory. If you brought any of these three offerings, which are the burnt offering, the grain offering, and then the peace offering, he did it willingly from his heart to honor and thank God. But the last two offerings, which is the sin offering and then the trespass offerings, were mandatory offerings. They were very compulsory. They were very mandatory and compulsory. And I'm sure someone will be asking, the Old Testament is no longer necessary, including all the stories. We don't need to study the Old Testament again. In fact, I've heard somebody who said he does not read the Old Testament again because it is archaic and then it is completely obsolete and then it's also abolished. And I said, you need a whole school. Because many of us have not understood something. Tonight, you're going to be blessed. I can feel it. What was abolished was not the books of the Old Testament. It was the law system with its ordinances and sacrifices. Follow this. What was abolished and became obsolete was not the books of the Old Testament, rather the law, the ordinances, and the sacrifices under that system. That is what was abolished. Now, I'll take you through a school today. You need to understand there is a difference between the Old Testament books and the Old Testament itself. Are you following this? There is a difference between the Old Testament and then the Old Testament books. Can I explain for you? Now, the Old Testament was a covenant. It was an agreement. It was a contract between God and the Jewish nation which had laws, ordinances, and sacrifices with corresponding blessings for obedience and punishment for disobedience. Let me repeat that again. The Old Covenant or the Old Testament was a contract, an agreement, or a covenant between God and the nation of Israel, which had laws, ordinances, sacrifices, with corresponding blessings for obedience and punishment for disobedience. That is the old covenant. It was an agreement. So, we need to understand that if you don't get the difference between the old covenant proper and the old covenant books, you may mix the two together and confuse yourself. Because one is obsolete, the other is necessary. I'm coming there now. 
So the covenant which came in Exodus chapter 19 was what we call the old covenant. Or what we call the covenant of Moses or the law of Moses. But long before the old covenant was enacted, life was before. So, technically, the book of Genesis was not old covenant. Because by the time Genesis was in play, there was no covenant with Israel. Because Israel was not even existing in the first place. Are you seeing this? Can we push some more? We've not started actually yet though. So, the old covenant was what? A contract or an agreement. And unfortunately, when God brought the bargain on the contract, you know, before you sign to a contract, you must read and understand. The moment they saw it, they said, whatever you shall command, we go do them. They didn't study the contract. They should have studied it and said, Lord, this is too much. We can't. We need grace. They said, we'll do it. But that's just by the way. Now, the old covenant books. What are the old covenant books? Listen carefully. The old covenant books are the canons of inspired writing put together giving detailed accounts of events, stories, life of the saints, patriots, and the Jewish nation and also revealing types shadows, promises and prophecies concerning Jesus Christ. I know you are confused, but don't worry. I'll repeat that again. The old covenant books are the canons of inspired writing. I'm speaking of Genesis to Malachi. A canon is actually a set of inspired writings that are put together. Okay? That's a canon. So when Genesis to Malachi was put together, it became a canon. So they are the canons of inspired writing that is put together giving detailed accounts of events. Stories and life of the saints, the patriarchs and the Jewish nation. And also revealing types, shadows, promises and prophecies concerning Jesus Christ. I don't expect you to get everything today. So you'll be fine. So we don't confuse the covenant with the covenant books. So what we see today which we hold are the old covenant books or the old testament books. They outline events that took place but it was beyond the law system. If you read Genesis to Malachi you will see beyond the law system. Because the Old Testament books actually has a name called scriptures. And it contains three elements called the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. Are you following this? The law, the prophets, and the Psalms. Which is beyond the old covenant that was cut between God and Israel. Please, are you following this? I hope I'm helping someone. So, the books of the Old Testament or what we call the scripture is a very vital and relevant document even necessary for doctrine. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15 
The Bible says, and that from a child that was known the holy scriptures, which is able to make thee wise unto salvation, which is through faith in Christ Jesus. The verse 16 says, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and it is profitable for doctrine. What is scripture? When he spoke of scripture, he was not referring to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or even 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, because when Paul spoke of scripture, there was no Matthew. So he says, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. At that time, 1 Timothy was not even a document. They didn't even know it was going to become a Bible. So when he referred to scripture, what was he referring to? The Old Testament books or prophecy. Or promise. Or mystery. So the scriptures is Genesis to Malachi. That's what we call scriptures. It was the Bible of the saints. Am I helping somebody? So the Old Testament books or the scriptures is very important. It is profitable for doctrine. So the Bible tells us it is profitable. Of course, every account stated from Genesis to Malachi are clearly recorded and stated. But not everything, everything in it are statements of truth. Yet the Bible says they are profitable for doctrine, for reproof for correction and for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So the old covenant was inspired by the, the, uh, the scriptures, which is Genesis to Malachi, was inspired by God. So whatever was written right from Genesis down into Leviticus, down into Malachi, was inspired by God and it was profitable for doctrine. In fact, the, 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 the books of the Old Testament or what we call the scriptures is so crucial that Jesus quoted himself from there. The only reference Jesus had about himself was Genesis to Malachi. You can't discard it. In fact, Apostles Paul, Apostle Paul's major themes and subjects and doctrinal blocks was founded in the Old Testament. There was no major truth from the Apostle Paul that didn't come from the Old Testament. I'll give you some examples. First Corinthians chapter 10, the verse 1 to 5. He says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Uh-huh. And were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Ah. Where, where is he quoting from? Exodus. He was about to establish a major doctrine. Now, look at the next verse. He says, and all did eat the same spiritual meat. You must be a student of the Old Testament books to understand what he's saying. Look at the next verse. He says, and all did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock. That followed them. That rock was Christ. Uh-uh. This is deep. 
First Corinthians 5, 7. Apostle Paul made a striking statement there. He says, Bench out therefore the old living, that ye may be a new lamp, as ye are unleavened. You can only find this in the book of Exodus, where the Israelites had to eat unleavened bread before they came out of Egypt. Then he says, For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. So Paul now quotes the Old Testament Passover to explain New Testament treasures for us. Romans chapter 4, the verse 1. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh has found? Look at that. He says, for if Abraham were justified by works, he had, he had wore off to glory, but not before God. Look at the verse 3. He says, for what saith the scripture? What is scripture? Genesis 2, Malachi. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now, when do we find that? In Genesis 15, 6. Now, watch that. He says, and he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. Paul now comes to quote this same verse in Romans chapter 4, the verse 3. He says, for what saith the scripture? So, Paul had to inspect. Paul had to search through what saith the scripture to give doctrine. Then he says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Look, next verse. He says, now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace but of debt. Next verse. Then he says, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So he says, Abraham didn't work for righteousness. He believed God. It was given to him as a gift. He says, now we also won't have to work for it, but believe God, just like Abraham believed God, then we receive righteousness. But look at how Paul did this thing. Now remember in the Old Testament, when a man is giving birth to, in eight days, he is circumcised. We see that theme in the Old Testament. Look at how Paul tore apart this revelation. In Colossians chapter 2, the verse 13, look at Paul. He says, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, had they quickened together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. So now Paul uses circumcision and uncircumcision in the Old Testament theme to explain the major doctrine of forgiveness and we've been there to sin. Have you seen the relevance of the Old, Covenant, the Old Testament books or the scripture, right? Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 21. Even Isaac and Ishmael. Look. Galatians 4, 21. Watch this. He says, tell me ye that desire to be under the law. Do you not hear the law? Look. He says, for it is written, and Abraham had two sons. The one by the bondmaid. Who is the bondmaid? Hagar. And the other by the free woman. Who is the free woman? Sarah. Look at the next verse. He says, but he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. That means Ishmael came by Abraham's own strength. Then he says, but he of the free woman was born by promise because it was God that promised that Sarah would deliver. Are you seeing that? Next verse. He says, which things are an allegory? It was a symbolism. He says, for these are two covenants. So for Paul to explain old and new covenant, he had to use Abraham and uh, Isaac and Ishmael to explain it. Where did he get that from? Old Testament books or scriptures. It says one from the Mount Sinai, which gendered to bondage, which is Agar. 
Look at the next verse. He says, For this Ega is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answered to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with all her children. Next verse. He says, But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. Look at the next verse. He says, But it is written, Rejoice thou that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travelest not, for the desolate had many more children than she which had an husband. Next verse. He says, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of the promise. Next verse. He says, But as then he, he that was born after the flesh did what? Persecuted him that was born after the spirit. Who was? Takemashana. The Bible says Isaac was born after the spirit. Ishmael was born after the flesh because he came by Abraham's own plan to try to help God fulfill his prophecy. But Isaac came by promise because it was God's power and spirit that brought him into being. So the Bible calls Isaac the child born after the spirit. He says, even so it is now. Then he says, nevertheless, what said the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. What is he saying? These are two covenants. Isaac is new covenant. Ishmael is old covenant. Just like Ishmael persecuted Isaac by laughing at him, the people who are under the law system will always persecute us who know grace. That's what he's saying. So he says, cast out the bondwoman. That means the old covenant has been cast out. And we who believe in Christ Jesus for salvation, the Bible says we are the heirs of God's promise. But look at how Paul got that. Scriptures. Am I helping? Now, Romans chapter 15, the verse 4. The Bible says, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. In other words, all the things we see from Genesis right into Malachi were written for our learning. So you don't say the Old Testament books are outdated or they are obsolete or they are archaic or they are abolished. You can't say that. They were written for our learning. So we can learn Are you following this thing? Yes, sir. So why study the five offerings? Or what is the purpose of the offerings? Or what did God want man to see in the offerings and sacrifices? It's the same thing. The purpose of the five offerings. Why do we study these five offerings? And what did God want man to see in the five offerings? It's amazing. Now, you need to understand something about the offerings. If Israel wanted to enjoy relationship with God, they had to obey God's giving instructions on how to offer the sacrifices. You couldn't offer the sacrifice by your own intellect. You had to do it based on God's detailed instructions if you wanted to enjoy fellowship with God. Are you following? Yes, 
So what did God want man to see in the five offerings? Number one, to show man God's holiness and man's sinfulness. We love you, Lord. Are you following this? To show man what? God's holiness and man's sinfulness. That's what God wanted man to see. It was one of the purposes of the five offerings. To make man see God's holiness and see his own sinfulness. What is God's holiness? When we say God is holy, we mean God is perfect. We mean his ways, his standards, and his person is just. Are you following this? Now, God will say, wash your hands before you come close. If not, you'll be cut off or you shall die. God will say, Purify these utensils with oil or with blood that it shall be holy. God will always qualify. Clean, unclean, pure, impure. Why was God doing all these things to them? Because man was a sinner, but he did not know he was a sinner. So God had to do everything to let him know he's a sinner. And he is holy. So God will say, wash your hands. So when you are washing, why am I washing my hands? Because you are unclean. And I am holy. So God was letting man see his what? Holiness. That means he's just. His laws are perfect. In the process of man seeing God's holiness, now man begins to see his sinfulness. Now you offer a sacrifice. The next Day, you are coming for another sacrifice. The next year, you are coming for another sacrifice. That means, when will I be perfect? God was letting man know that he is never perfect until he has perfected him. So the more man is trying to approach and he sees God's wrath revealed against sin, the more, the more man is trying to approach and he sees more laws and restrictions of how holy and how he must cleanse himself before he approaches God, man begins to see his own utter weakness in his sinfulness. So that man can never trust himself but trust for a savior. Praise God. Number two. Okay, maybe you can put this extra note for the first point. It was for man to see his inability to meet God's standards and holiness code. It was for man to see his failure to meet God's perfection because of the imperfection within him caused by sin. So God did it for man to know that no, something is wrong with me. Something is wrong with me. God is perfect, but I am not. 
God is holy, but I am not. That was what the sacrifices did. The offerings pointed to that fact. It was to show man his imperfection and the perfection of God. So there's a vast difference. Praise God. Number two, it was to show the ugliness of sin and God's hatred for it. It was to show the ugliness of sin and God's hatred for it. Amazingly, doing the offerings, you are going to see an innocent animal being held by a guilty man into the tabernacle. And before you realize, you see hands laid on this animal. All of a sudden, it doesn't get funny again. You will see the animal being dragged and the animal will be crying. In other words, save me. Help me. And the, the animal is being dragged. You'll be shouting for mercy. Yet there's no mercy. It was showing you what sin can do. And what God can do to sin. And that animal that came that was in a full. That was in fullness. Now was now in pieces. The animal's neck will be. The, the animal's throat will just be sliced. Just like that. Then you see. Pss, 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 pss. You see the blood oozing just like that. And the animal will be dying gradually. Then the animal's head will be cut. The legs will be cut. Intestines removed. Placed in fire. And the animal will be roasted and toasted. Then you will you, be smelling the animal. And the next thing that comes to your mind is, so I, I should have been a barbecue. You see the ugliness of sin. What sin can do. And what God can do to sin. You see God's hatred towards sin. That another animal must take your place and suffer the punishment of your sin as an Israelite. So you saw the ugliness of what? Sin and God's hatred for it. It was ugly. It wasn't funny. It was ugly. You saw blood everywhere. Blood was spilled everywhere. That's the ugliness of sin. That's what sin can do. Number three. You saw the love and the grace of God through substitution. You saw the love and the grace of God through substitution. These offerings were a means of grace by which a man who deliberately or undeliberately sinned might make atonement for that sin without paying with his life. It was a means of grace. So that when you sin, you don't have to pay for your sins, but someone else pays for that sin. It was a means of God's grace. God wanted man to see his love and grace. Hallelujah. Are you following this at all? So God used these offerings to show man his desire of restoring the broken fellowship between himself and man. So God used the offerings to show man his desire of restoring broken fellowship between himself and man. 
God used them to provide a way for which an Israelite can come back into a right standing with God. God provided that way. God showed Israel his desire to forgive through the sacrifice of another. I'm taking my time for you so that you can put some notes down. Number four, quickly. It also shows how Christ fulfills all sacrifices and offerings once and for all. Are you getting the perfect beauty of this whole thing? God wanted number one man to see or he wanted to show man his holiness and man's sinfulness. Number two, it was to show the ugliness of sin and God's hatred for sin. Number three, it was to show God's love and grace through substitution. And number four, it was to show how Christ fulfills all sacrifices and offerings once and for all. Praise God. So now remember, millions of such sacrifices were made by day, by month, and by year. Because the, the, the law system or the old covenant system lasted for 1,500 years. And if sacrifices were made on a daily basis, monthly basis, and a yearly basis, for 1,500 years, there should be millions of sacrifices made. And yet, one sacrifice cancelled all of them. Only one. Rendered all the millions of sacrifices useless, invalid, and unnecessary. That you wouldn't need any offering anymore when that ultimate offering was offered. Do you know what that means? It means if Jesus' offering was not worthy, we should have all been in service with our lambs and our goats and our turtle doves. Yeah. And we'll be having service and in the second office there, you'll be hearing making noise you would, have been, you would have seen this whole auditorium bloody and messy you come to service in white you leave in white and red It's amazing. And many of you don't place value on the work of Jesus. This will not excite you, but to some of us, our whole life is here. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 10, the verse 1 to 4. The Bible says, for the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never, look, it can never, can never with those sacrifices which they offered when? Year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. So there were many sacrifices but there was no perfection. After offering, you are going to come back again after your next sin. Look at the next verse. 
He says, for then would they have ceased to be offered if it was perfect. One offering would have been enough. Because that worshippers once purged should no more have conscience of sins. Look at the next verse. He says, but in those sacrifices, there is remembrance again made of sins every year. Look at the next verse. He says, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. It is not possible. It couldn't take away. It could only cover. Oh my goodness. Look at the verse 11. This will amaze you. He says, and every high priest standeth daily, ministering and offering, oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Now watch. He says, every high priest does what? Stands. In other words, when you enter the tabernacle, there was no chair. You know, imagine you enter the tabernacle and then you see a priest who is crossed his leg on a chair. You know what it means? There's no work to do. So he says, every priest standed. So in the tabernacle, there was no chair. You stand. That means work was never done. That's why they kept standing. Because they'll be offering sacrifices every single year which cannot take away sins. Look at the next verse. He says, but this man, but this man, tell someone, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat. He says, every high priest standed, but this man, after he sat. This was the only priest who sat after work. When you sit down, you know what it means? It means work is done. It means it is a finished work. And when work is done, it cannot be done again. And when it's done, it cannot be undone. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, I love this thing. I feel the glory, but dango I'm free in Christ. Hey. He says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his being and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself perched our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat down. One sacrifice. Once forever. Hebrews chapter 7. The verse 11. Look. He says, For if perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest shall rise after the order of Melchizedek and not to be called after the order of Aaron. So Aaron, you know, all the priests proceeded from Aaron. But there was one priest that came after the order of Melchizedek. He says, if the perfect, if therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, 
There was no need for another priest to come and take over. Look at the 12. 12, 12. He says, for the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity also a change of the law. So the work of Jesus was a perfect work. So when we are teaching salvation and we are saying you can't lose your salvation, we mean it. We can't downgrade and degrade the work of Christ. Look at the verse 19. Look. <laughs> it says, for the law made nothing perfect. But the bringing in of a better hope did. By which we draw nigh to God. It made nothing perfect. Look at the verse 22. He says, by so much was Jesus made a surety, a guarantee, a sponsor of, the, of a better testament. Look. Look. He says, and, and truly, there were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. That means, there were many priests that came before Jesus, but the problem was that all of them had a lifespan. They died. They reigned and died. Look at the next verse. He says, but this man, because he continued forever, had an unchangeable priesthood. So, every priest of the old order was changed by reason of death. Just say, watch a crown, 85. He's gone. Then they have to change him. He said, this man, you can't change him. He says, wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost. That come to God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. And look at this description. Look, next verse. He says, for such an high priest became us. Who is holy? The high priest then was not holy. He says, this man is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Look at the next verse. He says, who needed not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For he did this once when he offered up himself. Next verse. It says, For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity. <laughs> Woo! But the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the son who is consecrated forevermore. Are we reading Hebrews or Hebrews? <laughs> which is which one? Hebrews or Hebrews? Hebrews? <laughs> I feel the glory, man. <laughs> I love this thing. How can I be sad in the morning? When my high priest ever leave it. 
When he's making intercession for me. So, what are we saying? That the Old Testament or the scriptures were only pointing to a greater reality. We are stirring the five offerings because they were all realities pointing to Christ. Christ is the theme and the central message of the Bible. The title of the Bible is Jesus. The pin code for unlocking the Bible is Christ. The lens for reading the Bible is Christ. So, the scriptures or the Old Testament books were harbingers. They were prefigurations. They were adumbrations of Jesus Christ. The Bible is a Christocentric book carrying a Christocentric message. So in the Old Testament books, we see types and shadows. That's what we are seeing in the five offerings. There were types and shadows. God allowed them to play a drama about the coming Christ. And Jesus fulfilled it. So there were many dramas. There were plays. Isaac acted his portion. He played the drama. When he was carrying his own wood, it was Christ carrying the cross, but it was drama. <laughs> so God says, Hey, Ike, come, something, come. Abraham, come, solo, come. You are going to act a play about my son. And he will come and fulfill it. You know, I love this thing. You know, people act movies based on true stories that has already taken place. The work of Christ was the only true story that actually happened before it was acted. Are you following this thing at all? Okay. So, the old was an anticipation of Christ. So, when you read Genesis to Malachi, the major thing you'll be seeing is anticipation. There is a coming savior. There's a coming savior. There was an anticipation of Christ. Are you following this? The new is the realization of Christ. So, what we saw anticipated is now realized in Christ. When he finished the work. The old was coming soon. The new is now available. The old was concealed. The new is revealed. The old is contained. The new is explained. The old was a shadow of Christ. The new is the substance of Christ. The old was a ritual. The new is a reality. The old was a picture. The new is a person. 
Praise God. The old was foretold, the new is fulfilled. The old was prophecy, the new is history. The old was pre-incarnation, the new is incarnation. He has come. Praise God. So now, you can put this down. This is very deep. The Old Testament books, or the Old Testament, was the flashlight of prophetic truths. The old was the flashlight of prophetic truths. The new is the floodlight of divine revelation. The old was a flashlight of prophetic truths. The new is the floodlight of divine revelation. So what they saw in flashes, we have it as a floodlight of divine truths. We are flooded with that light in the new. So the Old Testament was the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So what we see in the Old Testament was actually New Testament truths that has been hidden. And what we see in the New Testament is the Old Testament that has been revealed. Are you seeing that? So when we read the New Testament books, we now begin to see all the truths in the Old Testament which our minds were closed to. There was a veil over our eyes and we did not see what it meant until the new began to open it up to us. John chapter 5, the verse 39. I wish I had time. He says, search the scriptures for in them ye think ye have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. So what does the scriptures do? First of all, what is the scriptures? So when Jesus said he searched the scriptures, he said he searched what? Genesis 2, Malachi. He says, you think that ye have what? Eternal life. He says, yet they are they. Which what? So who does the scriptures testify of? Christ. So Jesus is the testimony of scripture. Without Christ, the scripture loses its testimony. Please, are you following this? Luke chapter 24, the verse 25. We are looking at the five offerings. And we are still laying the foundation. After Jesus rose up, you know, the disciples were thinking that Jesus was one, was one of the prophets that came to die and go. So they were discussing that, oh, I don't know if any deal or cool. Didn't find him again. Like all the, the way Elijah came and we didn't see him. All these people, he has also finished his work. We thank God for his life. And Jesus was in their midst when they were having a conversation. He was watching them like this. So look at what he said. And he said unto them, Jimmy's. foolish boys all fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken I'm not a prophet I'm a savior what did the prophets say he says slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken what did they say 
We want to see the next verse. What did the prophet say? Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? So what did the prophet say in the Old Testament? Christ will suffer and enter glory. All the things they wrote, plenty, plenty, that is confusing you. It is, it is only two things. Christ will suffer and enter into his glory. What did Jeremiah the weeping prophet say? Christ will suffer and enter into glory. He has just summarized everything the prophet said. Look at the next verse. He says, and beginning at Moses. What is Moses in this context? Genesis to Deuteronomy. He says, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded. So Jesus did real proper Bible study. He expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Look at the next verse. Now, you come to the verse 31. After Jesus expounded, the Bible says, and their eyes were opened and they knew him. So, all along they didn't know him. Listen, when you see Jesus in the scriptures, you don't need to see him physically again. After they knew him in the scriptures, the Bible says, and he vanished out of their sight. I'm teaching good here. Look at the verse 44. I wish I had time to explain all these things. He says, and he said to them, these are the words which I speak unto you while I was yet with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, the five books and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Concerning so who are the five offerings concerning him? Look at the next verse. He says, then open he their understanding that they might understand the scripture. How did they understand the scripture? When Christ was open. How will you understand scripture? When Christ is opened. See, it is enough you opening the Bible. Let God open it for you. When you see Jesus, you have true understanding. First Peter chapter 1, the verse 9. I'm giving you a lot of scriptures today because of my argument. It says, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. So the end of faith is salvation. Look at the next verse. Of which salvation? Please watch this thing. You know, those of you who have been reading Jeremiah, Isaiah, the wrong way. Watch the show here. He says, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. Who prophesied of the grace that should come to you? Ah. Of what? The grace that should. Next verse. 
Searching what? Or what manner of time the spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify. When he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Next verse. He says, unto whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves. But it was unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them which have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven which things the angels desire to look into. I wish I had time. Today I'm just quoting you. I'm not explaining. Praise God. Now, look at Romans chapter 1, the verse 1. Everything points to Jesus. He says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the what? The gospel of God. That's the good news of God. Look at the next verse. Which he had promised aforetime by his prophets in the holy scriptures. God promised the gospel aforetime in the holy scriptures through his prophets. Look at the next verse. He said, What did he promise? Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Colossians 2.16. Yeah, Lord, help me to finish on time. Ah, my favorite. It says, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. Next verse. He says, which are a shadow of things to come. But the body, the substance, the reality is of back to the verse 16. He says, therefore, now that Christ has died, don't let anyone judge you in meat. To say that you need to bring a meat offering. Or a drink. Drink offering. It's not, this is not goat and the goat meat you use for Nkakra. This is sacrifice. He's talking about offerings. The animals that were offered and they were burnt, that was the meat he was referring to. So don't think like a white man or an English man. You have to think like a Jew to understand this. The meat here is, called, is referring to the meat offering. And drink was referring to drink offering because those days they poured alcohol as thanksgiving to God. Then he says, of respect of what? A holiday. Now the word holiday means feast. 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 The Israelites had seven feasts or seven festivals. The first festival was what? Passover. Second was unleavened bread. Third was first fruit. Fourth was Pentecost. Fifth was feast of trumpet. Then we had the atonement. Then we have feast of tabernacles. He says that they were shadow of things to come. So Christ fulfilled all the seven feasts. As Passover, remember the Passover lamb was killed and offered so that Israel would go free. That means Christ died. On living bread, they were supposed to do bread without yeast. Yeast signifies malice or wickedness. That means Christ, who was offered and died, did not have sin in him. Then the first fruit happened in the, in, in the site that the Israelites will grow crops. 
the first crops that were harvested were bound together and given to the priest for him to wave it and burn it as offering to God. That means that God, we, we gave you seed and you gave us a harvest. Remember the seed dies. Then the seed begins to germinate. So the first fruit was a festival to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. That means he was the first to be born from dead. Then they came to Pentecost. That is 50 days after the, past, uh, the first fruit. It was on Pentecost that the Lord was giving the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it was on Pentecost the Spirit was giving. So remember, Christ died, Passover. The Christ that died was without sin on living bread. On the third day, he rose first fruit. First Corinthians 5.20, Christ is the first fruit of the resurrection. Then, Pentecost, after Jesus rose, he gave us the Holy Ghost. Then from there, we come to the, fe- the festival of trumpets. They took silver uh, trumpets by the priest and they be- began to blow it. That means after the Holy Ghost was given, we are to blow the trumpet of the redemptive work of Christ. <laughs> so Jesus is the revelation of the scriptures. Are you following this? Then we come to atonement. That means Christ ends sin once and for all. Then we, are, we come to the feast of tabernacle. One day Christ will dwell with us again. <laughs> so he says, of respect of a holiday, of new moon, which was the monthly um, offerings that were given to God. Then he came to Sabbath days. You know, many people argue about the Sabbath. They say Sabbath is Saturday. Once it's Sabbath is Sunday and they are fighting, both of them are wrong. Because the Sabbath day is not Saturday or Sunday. It's Christ's day. God worked for six days. Hard work. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. Then God instituted it as part of Israel's observation. And said, you will work for six days like I did. On the seventh day, you will not work. When a man is caught working on the seventh day, he will die or he will be cut off. A seventh day of rest. What was he pointing to? The Bible calls Jesus the Lord of the Sabbath. What does it mean? That Jesus will work the work of salvation for man on the cross. So that man does not need to work again for salvation, but rest in the finished work of Christ. That's Sabbath. When a man believes Jesus, he has entered his Sabbath. Remember, when a man was found working on the Sabbath, he was cut off. That means anybody who thinks his works can bring him salvation is cut off from God. We can't work for salvation. We got to rest in the integrity of the work of Jesus. And the Bible says, we who believe have come to rest. Have you forgotten? Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will rest you. So he's saying, come and I will Sabbath you. So Jesus is the Sabbath. So the next verse says, which are shadow. See, my shadow is not me. A shadow is an image cast on an object representing the form of the object. He says these things were 
a shadow. They were actually giving like, <laughs> I love this thing. <laughs> but the body is of Christ. Oh. Higher. I feel this thing. John chapter 5, the verse 45. Larusuma nini ara sovala. I love you, Lord. Look, he says, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accused you, even Moses, in whom you trust. <laughs> so Jesus is saying he will never accuse you. If you find yourself being accused, Moses is doing it. That's the law. The law is what accuses you. Because the law says, Thou shalt not. If you shall not or shall, you will be accused. He says, don't think I will accuse. No, it's, it's only one person that accuses. If you live by the law, you'll be accused every day. Look at the next verse. He says, for if he had believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. <laughs> Moses wrote of Christ. So when Moses was writing Genesis 1-1, Genesis 1-2, he was writing Christ. The Bible says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Perfect heaven, perfect earth. The verse 2, the Bible says, and the earth was without form and was void and darkness covered the face of the deep. That's chaos. It was perfect in verse 1. Verse 2, chaos, distraction, darkness. The verse 3, he says, and the spirit of God hovered over the waters. The verse 4, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. The verse 5, the Bible says, and God saw the light and it was good. And he separated the light from the darkness and called the light day and darkness night. Now, if you read as an ordinary man, you'll be seeing creation. But if you read like me, we'll see the new creation. <laughs> Let me tell you what Moses wrote of him. When Moses wrote Genesis 1-1, it was the perfection of the beauty of man. Genesis 1-1. The verse 2, darkness covered the face of the deep. That was the fall of man. The verse 3 says the spirit of God hovered. That means the cause of salvation comes by the Holy Ghost. Then he says, let there be light. Who is the light? Jesus Christ is the light. So, in 2 Corinthians... Chapter 4, the verse 6, the Bible throws a big bomb. It says, for God, who commanded light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Remember, the light of Genesis 1-4 is different from the sun. The light of Genesis 1-4 was referring to the son of God. So when God called out light, he called out Jesus Christ to come and do the work. So the light that was supposed to be the solution to the darkness and the fall of man was Jesus. It was the gospel. And the Bible says the light was good. Remember, the light which is the gospel is good news. And the Bible says God separated the light from the darkness. The gospel separates men. Why? Because when the gospel is preached, some will believe, some will not believe. So those who believe become light. Those who don't believe become darkness. That's the division. Light and darkness. And the Bible says he called the light what? Day. And he called the darkness what? Night. First Thessalonians chapter 5, the verse 4. Watch it. 
He says, but ye brethren are not in darkness that the day should overtake you as a thief. Look at the next verse. He says, ye all are children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. So the light and darkness which was called day and night, who was he referring to? Believers and non-believers. We are day. The unbeliever is night. Moses wrote of me. <laughs> On the third day of creation, remember the whole earth was trapped in water because of the chaos. On the third day, God commanded the earth to come out from the sea or from the waters. Why did God command, why did God separate the earth from the waters? On the third day specifically. Remember, the waters were chaotic waters that produced death. So the waters represents death. The human body of Jesus, where did it come from? The earth. And the earth was trapped inside the water. So it was to represent the body of Jesus that was trapped in death. On the third day, God brought the earth out of water. On the third day, God rose Jesus' body from the dead. Sahala. <laughs> Shall we proceed? <laughs> Praise God. And in Genesis chapter 1, the verse 14, watch. He says, And God said, Let there be light in the firmament of the waters, and let it divide the day from the night, and let there be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. Look at the next verse. He says, And let them be for light of the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, and it was so. Look at the verse 16. He says, And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule there, and the lesser light to rule the night. God made two great lights. He says, One light, which was the greater light, was to rule the day. The lesser light was to rule the what? Night. Remember, who is the day? The believer. Who is the night? And he says he saw two great lights. Who's the two great, great lights? Christ and the church. So he says the greater light rules the day. Who is the day? So Christ rules the church. Then he says the lesser light, which is the church, rules the night. We are to preach the gospel to unbelievers. We rule by preaching. That's how we rule. Christ is the head of the church. He rules the day. And we reign over the, the unbeliever by preaching the gospel to him. Because he's the night. We see God create man in Genesis 1, 26, 27 and 28. God created man. Both male and female. And they were all in God. Remember there's a difference between the creation and the formation of man. Don't confuse the two. Genesis 1, 26 to 28 was the creation of man. Both male and female were created same day. The formation of man was in Genesis 2, 7 when the Bible says God made the body of man from the dust of the ground. And the Bible says God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So remember, Adam and Eve were already in God and God transferred them into the human body called Adam. So both Adam and Eve were created on the same day and the body of Adam was formed later and God transferred both of them inside the body Adam so where was Eve when Adam was walking Eve was in Adam 
So when it was time to produce Eve, God did not need to bring Eve from somewhere else. He had to put Adam to sleep and bring Eve out. So when he brought Eve up from the side of Adam, Adam rose up and saw a bride and said, for this cause, a man shall, he says, this is the bone of my bone and the flesh of my flesh. He says, for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall cleave unto his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Paul says, this is a mystery. Because just like Eve was in Adam when Adam was walking, the church was chosen in Christ before the foundations of the world. So when Jesus was walking, the church was walking in Christ. When it was time for the church to come out, just like Adam was put to deep sleep, Christ was put to death. And guess what? The first surgery was performed on the side of Adam. When Christ died, one of the soldiers took a spear and pierced the side of Jesus. What came? Blood and water came. The church was a product of his blood. When Adam rose, he saw a bride. When Christ rose, he saw a bride, the church. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. Jesus left his father. And came to cleave to his wife. Today you and Christ have become one flesh. The Bible says he that is joined with the Lord is one spirit. So it points to who? Jesus. That's how we read. Because Moses said he wrote of him. So that's how we read. That's how we read. In Genesis chapter 10. There were 10 generations of Adam. Let's have the photo here. You'll be amazed. God, there were 10 generations of Adam. Look, the Bible says, Adam begat Seth, Seth begat Enosh, Enosh begat Canaan, Canaan begat Mahalil, Mahalalil, Mahalalil begat Jared, Jared begat Enoch, Enoch begat Methuselah, Methuselah begat Lamech, Lamech begat Noah. Look at the meanings of their names. Now, Adam means man, Seth is appointed, Enosh, mortal man, Canaan, sorrow is born. Mahalalil, the blessed God or the glory of God. Then Jared shall come down. Enoch, teaching that Methuselah, his death shall bring. Lamech, those who are sinking down in despair. Noah, grace, comfort and rest. When you put these ten generations together, look, it means man is appointed a mortal man of sorrow. But the blessed God, who is Jesus, shall come down, teaching that his death shall bring those sinking down in suffering. Grace, comfort and rest. It was hidden in your Bible. Moses said he wrote of me. The 12 sons of Jacob. We'll, we'll just look at Reuben, Simon. Look at them. Reuben means behold, a son is born unto us. Simon means one who hears. Levi means attached. Judah means praise the Lord. Dan means he judged. Naphtali means my struggle. God means good fortune. Asher means happiness. Issachar means reward. Zebulon means Anna. Joseph means add to my family. Benjamin means son of righteousness. When you put the names together, it means behold, a son is born unto us. One who hears us and became attached to us. Praise the Lord. He judged our struggle and brought us good fortune, happiness, reward, honor. He added us to his family and called us the sons of righteousness. <laughs> Moses said, he wrote of me. Is there a communication jam or overload? 
There was a time Israel was thirsty. And they called to Moses for water to drink. And God said to Moses, there's a rock in front of you. Just take your rod. Strike the rock once. And water shall come out. Remember the rock is who? Moses struck. Poof! Water came out. The second time, Israel was thirsty. And God says, Moses, don't strike it. Speak to the rock. Moses was angry. And he struck it twice. Poof, poof. The water still came. But God was angry. And Moses did not enter the promised land because of that error. Now you'll be wondering, why will... This is just nothing. This is just nothing. Why? Ask somebody why. Why? Remember, the rock is who? Christ. The first time God said to Moses, strike it once. That means Christ will be struck once on the cross. And after that striking, he will produce life eternal. The second time, God says, speak to it. Moses struck it twice. You know what he was doing? He was trying to crucify the son of man all over again. And Christ will only die once, not twice. Because the first time he's to strike, the second time he's to speak. That means Christ will die once. We will have to confess his lordship to receive his life. We have to speak to receive his life. But he struck it twice. And goes, hey, the son of man will not die twice. You won't destroy my order I preordained before the foundations of the world. Because of that, we are not going. Praise God. Ila fratusanai. Hallelujah. Finally, Bible speaks of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You only find the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. You will not find the God of Elijah. You won't find the God of Jeremiah. Only these three names. Who did they represent? They were representing the Godhead. Father, Son, the Holy Ghost. In the Old Testament, it was God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In the New Testament, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Abraham represents the Father. Isaac represents the Son. Jacob represents the work of the Spirit. That's why Abraham gave birth to Isaac like God gave birth to his son, Jesus. Are you seeing that? So, Isaac was the only begotten son of Abraham just like Jesus was the only begotten son of God before he died. Remember, God said to Abraham, sacrifice your one and only. It was a type to prove that God was going to sacrifice his only begotten son. And Abraham took Isaac and put his wood upon his head. And they traveled on that journey. Christ carried his own cross, his own wood. And then he carried it to the mount. And the same mountain that they stood, which was Moriah, was the same mountain Christ was crucified. And Isaac was in between two servants. On the cross, Jesus was was in between two thieves. He took a knife. He was about to kill Isaac. And God says, Abraham, stop. Now I know that you fear me. And there was a ram that took the place of Isaac. Which is a picture that we were supposed to die. But the ram exchanged our death. Now, when Isaac rose up from that altar that day, in God's mind, he rose from the dead. Because Abraham lifting a sword, in God's mind, he had killed him. So, Jesus died. 
When he rose from the altar, it was the resurrection of Isaac. You never heard from Isaac again. The next time you heard, Abraham sent Eliezer, his servant, to go to a far country where he was from, to go and bring him a bride. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, just like Abraham sent Eliezer, the word Eliezer means God is my helper. Who is our helper? The Holy Ghost was sent to bring us Gentiles from a far country to be married to Christ, who is our Isaac. And remember, Isaac was a relative. In fact, the brother of Rebekah yet became a bride. In the New Testament, we are brothers of Christ, yet we are the bride of Christ. Have you seen that? So Moses said he wrote of We are looking at the five offerings. <laughs> so, Jesus is the message of the scriptures. The five offerings were all different aspects of his work that he did for us. And it's very important for us to study it. And we'll start studying it from tomorrow. And we will look at the bent offering. We will look at the green offering. We will look at the peace offering. We will look at the sin offering. And we will look at the trespass offering. Glories and beauties of who Jesus is. And your life will never be the same. Lift your hands and begin to bless him.